0: I've been following the Jerry Falwell Jr. story for a while now. The dude was president of Liberty University. His dad, Jerry Falwell, created Liberty University. And he was instrumental in inextricably linking religion and politics in the US. He created the evangelical voting bloc. Since Liberty U was created by right-wing extremist evangelical Christians, naturally, they have very specific, bizarre positions on morality. And to my surprise, and I'm sure everybody else is, they don't live up to their own standards of morality. Who could have guessed? Jerry Falwell Jr. got in trouble recently for tweeting something really, really racist. Oh, not in trouble with Liberty U faculty. They couldn't possibly care less. He was just heavily criticized for it by the outside world. What got him in trouble with Liberty U faculty and staff? He accidentally posted a picture of himself to Instagram, holding a glass of what looked like alcohol standing next to a woman who wasn't his wife with both their pants unzipped. Suddenly, everybody cares what he's doing in his personal time. There was a swell of outcry from Liberty U faculty and board members. He resigned as president in disgrace. Well, there's been an update to the story. The alumni said that the university needed, quote, new leadership that represents the heart of Liberty University's mission. So apparently this isn't a temporary thing, as I assumed it would be. I figured he'd go away for a while and the seat would remain open until he could spend a reasonable amount of time soul-searching and going to church. Then he'd return after the dust cleared. And nobody was paying attention anymore. Something I've noticed about scandals is that nobody remembers them after enough time passes. Look at Onision. He got hit hard by Chris Hansen and others, right? How many channels does he have after those attacks? Still the same. Nothing changed. He's still out there doing his Onision thing for better or worse. How many scandals has Trump been in? A billion. If you want something to change, then you need to change it immediately while the heat's on, because in a year, nobody will remember. The new step the alumni are taking, trying to force them to fill the president's role, is basically the only way Jerry Falwell Jr. is going to face any kind of permanent accountability, by doing something about it before anybody forgets. The ARK encounter is in trouble. It's suffering from the pandemic just like everybody else, which isn't surprising. I wish I could say it's because interest is down. Everybody thinks it's fucking ridiculous, and Ken Ham has been exposed as a con man enough times that nobody trusts him anymore, but sadly, that's just not the case. They are, however, suffering record low attendance. I'll take it. February 2020 actually saw an increase of attendance, 962 more people than the previous year, which is about 5% year-over-year attendance increase, give or take. That was the last increase. If you remember, it was about February 23rd, 2020, when the stock market completely tanked. That's about the time people started taking the pandemic pretty seriously. Then the ARK encounter actually shut down on March 17th, a month later. March saw a year-over-year decrease of 55,321 people. If my math is correct, and it's possible it's not because I'm just doing it on the fly, that's a 78% drop. If my math is wrong, somebody can put it in the comments and I'll pin it. Anyways, March 2019 saw attendance of 70,466, and March 2020, the following year, saw attendance of 15,145. April 2019 saw 90,803 people, April 2020, the next year, saw 2047. I remember when the government set up PPP loans as a stimulus to help small businesses survive the pandemic. I own three small businesses. They're just little sole proprietorships. I don't even have any employees. Honestly, they bring in enough money to support my family, and that's about it. But when the government released the small business loans, I thought to myself, you know what? My companies are doing fine youtube saw a dramatic drop in ad revenue but i live a pretty simple life i don't spend extravagantly i don't live in a giant mansion i live in a little apartment with exactly enough bedrooms i don't have a car payment i bought my car used five years ago and i finished paying it off i'm doing okay so i left the government loans for somebody who could use it more than i could it's kind of fucking infuriating to read about the ark encounter churches kanye west and others taking out millions of dollars in my tax dollars when I decided to leave it for people who needed it more than me. Imagine what I could have done with that money. I could have used it to grow my little sole proprietorships. But no, the Ark Encounter used it to line Ken Ham's pockets instead. That'll teach me. This week on the podcast, I'm sure we all know Pat Robertson, professional televangelist and nutbag extraordinaire. He's the host of Christian Broadcast Network's flagship show, The 700 Club. Well, he's been saying some strangely reasonable things recently, immediately countered with nonsense. But for those 16 seconds or so, it looked like he slipped out of his religious Republican extremist delusion. On his show the other day, he said, quote, I personally feel this coronavirus is so deadly, and the idea of having large numbers of people come together without masks and without social distancing is a mistake, because people catch this stuff and coronavirus is deadly. What? What? Pat, you and I finally agree on something. But don't worry, you're not living in a dream world. He goes right back to his insane extremism about 100 seconds later. We're going to take a look at what he said on the podcast. While Pat Robertson is temporarily making sense on a single issue, he's simultaneously being contradicted by Pastor John MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur is literally celebrating the fact that he has thousands of people gathered in one little space with no masks or social distancing. He seems to think that's what God wants, for him to kill members of his congregation. I mean, the guy has a congregation of at least a thousand. I don't know exactly how big it is, but it's considered a mega church. Let's just go with a gross underestimate of a thousand to be extra generous and have a nice round number for our calculations. Hypothetically speaking, if he has a thousand members in his congregation, he's statistically going to lose about 30 people. 30 families in his congregation are going to see their grandfather for the very last time this Sunday. They're going to see their brother for the last time. Their sister, their mother, their son, their daughter. That church service will be the last one they ever hear. The last time they get in the car with them. The last time they give them a hug. Look them in the eye and tell them that they love him, before they find themselves carrying their casket to the gravesite. Because this fucking asshole wants to stick it to the Democrats. It's heartbreaking. It hurts. I haven't lost anybody to this disease yet, but statistically, I know it's gonna happen. And when it does, I'm gonna blame Trump. And not just Trump, but the Republicans who enabled him. Through no fault of the Chinese government, a virus appeared and spread like wildfire in 2019. But they covered it up and lied about it for months. They closed down and refused to let anybody study it or even know about it. That's on them. The blood from every death that resulted from that behavior is on Xi's hands. And just like with China, a virus appeared in the U.S. through no fault of the governments. We can sit here and Monday morning quarterback it. We can say Trump should have shut down earlier. He should have taken it more seriously. He should have this. He should have that. I'm not interested in doing any of that let's give him the benefit of the doubt, even though we don't have to. Let's say the virus appeared here and there really wasn't anything Trump could have done to stop it. The blood from every death that happened as a result of Trump lying, trying to cover shit up, slowing down testing, ignoring scientists and economists, and turning this into a political game are on his hands. He's responsible for them. So you can bet I'm going to view him as personally responsible when I'm carrying the casket of my grandfather or grandmother or daughter. Alejandro Rojas, the blood is on Xi's hand, but you use the rhetoric of through no fault of the Chinese government. It was not the Chinese government's fault that a virus appeared. It is the Chinese government's fault that they lied about it and tried to cover it up for months, didn't tell anybody what was happening, for who knows how long who knows how long the Chinese government's known about this virus we'll never know because they lied and covered it up and locked people in their homes and shut down any communication outside of China so that no one would say a word about it that is on their hands it wasn't the Chinese government's fault it appeared it was their f- everything else after that was their fault Let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up.
1: Hey, Owen, this is Justin from Michigan. I was wondering what your thoughts were on a phrase I hear when homosexuality becomes a topic. A few friends and quite a few family members usually respond with, I don't mind gay people as long as they're not flirting with me. Thank you. Enjoy what you do.
0: Thank you for the, the phone call. I really appreciate that. Um, I don't know that I have a whole lot to say on the subject, but yeah, that that kind of thing is really cringy to me too when I hear people say stuff like that. It's like this toxic way of like making fun of people. It's just the result of an ass-backwards society that's been against any kind of progressive values of any sort for like since since its creation it's almost like we rapidly moved from like being gay as such a taboo situation to having gay marriage all of a sudden it seems like it happened suddenly because gay people have like been really oppressed and hated all the way through like even 2010 like barack obama and hillary clinton and other major politicians On the left side of the political spectrum didn't support gay marriage until not that long ago. It was only like I think at the ass end of Obama's first term that they came out and started supporting gay marriage, surprisingly. I guess the political winds had shifted. I guess uh, public opinion had shifted enough that they were willing to be more accepting of it, It something that they should have been accepting of from the very beginning. But we are where we are now which is a plus. Um I think society is moving in the right direction. It seems pretty clear society is moving in the right direction. And I think as we move further toward destigmatizing it, we'll hear less, we'll hear fewer of those jokes. Um I think that's just kind of ass backwards people who haven't caught up with the times yet.
2: Hey Owen, this is Alton from Ireland. So at the end of August, my nephew is going to be getting christened as a Catholic. And they want to have me as a godfather, but they were telling me the priest is very adamant about all of the traditional Catholic uh, things. So, you know, eating your communion and doing all the prayers and kneeling and standing. I'm obviously an atheist. And I feel like I have to do this because I care about my nephew, obviously, you know, I love him very much, but it breaks my heart to see that he is going to be indoctrinated into the Catholic Church, and you know, I always thought my brother was kind of secular, but he's going ahead anyways with his uh Catholicism. My plan is to just lie the whole way through um the the priesting and the churching and all that. But it, it just, it stings, you know, that I have to pretend that I'm a good Catholic boy for all this, and I was just wondering if you could let me know what your thoughts are on it. Thanks. Bye now.
0: That honestly does not surprise me at all. Thanks for the voicemail. I appreciate that. Um, interesting subject, too. Even though, I think you said your brother, right? Even though your brother was kind of secular in... It's coming as a surprise to you that he's following through with all of this religious shit. From my understanding, when you marry a Catholic person, you they have to send you through all of these training courses. You have to sign a contract with the church basically saying any children that you have, you will raise them as a Catholic, and they give you like steps. When the child turns this age, you will get them christened. When they turn this age, you'll do this thing and that thing, and they'll assign a godfather. They outline the kid's life from beginning to end um, before, the, before you're even pregnant, basically. That's probably why your brother is going through all of this because he signed a contract to do it. That would be my guess. And he was probably at the time thinking to himself, you know, this is way down the road. Like, who cares? Let's just sign this piece of paper. Uh, I don't have to honor it when the time comes. And that's true. He doesn't. He doesn't actually legally have to honor the contract. It's not like legally binding. You can't force somebody to baptize their kid at gunpoint, basically. But they will pressure him into doing it. They will peer pressure him and say, you're not a contract violator, are you? And that kind of thing. They'll make him feel terrible for not doing it. And, you know, he did sign it. I mean, he said he would, that kind of thing. That's the kind of mindset that brings you there. That's probably why he's doing it. He's probably kind of being pushed into the situation. And who knows? Maybe he really does want to do it. I don't know. I don't know the specific situation. But that's almost certainly why he is moving down that path as directly and clearly as he is because of the contract. My advice on the situation is, if you can, just go ahead and fake it. Just put a smile on your face uh, as fake as can be and just go through it. That's just me. You have no obligations, you know. Lawrence, your question, is this legal? It's legal to write something down that you want somebody to do and have them sign it, but it's not legally enforceable. Like they can't send the police in and force you to baptize the kid basically or christen the kid or whatever. It's not a legally binding contract, but it is a contract that exists. Like I could write down on a piece of paper right now that Kylie's going to attend law school in 10 years or something like that and I could make her sign it But is there any, like, legally binding nature to it? No. There's nothing legally binding about it. I can't sue her for this thing or that thing. I can't seek civil damages or any of that other stuff. So that's a similar situation with the Catholic contract, quote-unquote. The biggest chung guy might be a bit difficult for you to answer, but in your opinion, what cult is the most dangerous to society as a whole? Keep up the good work, man. Well, I appreciate that. It's complicated. If we're talking, um, if we're talking about like regardless of how many members the cult has right now, then I have one opinion. If, if we're taking into account how many members the cult has, I have another opinion. Uh, and how insulated it is. So, for example, Scientology, last I checked, has forty or 50,000 members. That goes up or down. Generally, it, it goes up as time goes on. Last I checked, it had 40K. I'm guessing it probably has 50K by now. Jehovah's Witnesses have 8.5 million, last I checked. But Scientology is more destructive to society, generally speaking. If Scientology and Jehovah's Witnesses both had 8.5 million members, Scientology would be the more destructive one by far. But there's a bottleneck with cults because the more extreme, radical, crazy beliefs that a group has, the fewer members they will bring in and retain, basically the more of a mental, emotional investment you have to put into the cult, the fewer people you're going to bring in. So Scientology is only at forty or 50,000 members because they ask a lot of their members. They require a lot of their members. Jehovah's Witnesses also require a lot as far as what you're supposed to believe and things like that. But in a lot of ways, you don't really reach those limits. Like It it gets more extreme with Jehovah's Witnesses the longer time you spend in the religion. So the initial down payment, if you will, on being a Jehovah's Witness is minimal. It's low. All you have to do is show up to their meetings and they all seem super nice and you can go to their meetings for a solid year without any expectations. Just go, hang out with people, talk to them, be nice to them. They'll be nice to you. With Scientology, there is a literal down payment. You have to invest money in being a part of this group and money is a huge barrier for people a lot of the time, especially right now. Since there is more of an investment, not just monetarily, but, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, there's more of an investment in Scientology that people have to give to Scientology than to Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses bring in more members, basically. So the most insidious, radical, dangerous cults in a lot of cases are the smallest ones because they require... The most investment. Like I said, not just monetary investment, but mental investment and and behavioral investment. So all other things being equal, let's say every cult on the face of the earth had the exact same number of members. I would say one of the most dangerous cults out there would be Scientology. Because for one thing, they have a shitload of money. They have a ton of money, and they've put a lot of effort into infiltrating parts of government. There are articles written by and about Leah Remini, famous ex-Scientologist, talking about the fact that there are Scientologists in the White House and around the White House. There are Scientologists affiliated with major political figures. They want to get as involved in politics as humanly possible, and they're willing to do anything, literally anything, to get what they want. Jehovah's Witnesses have a code of ethics, for better or worse, that prevents them from doing certain extreme things. And also, they don't get involved in politics at all. That's kind of against their rules. Scientology has a very extreme angry streak in them, maybe. I'm not really sure what what word exactly that I'm looking for, but that that probably comes close. Jehovah's Witnesses and Scientologists both have a, quote-unquote, fair game policy. Lie, cheat, steal, attack, do literally anything to further the goals of the group. They're both willing to do those things. But one of them, Scientology, is willing to take it a step further and ruin people's lives for it. Jehovah's Witnesses are more, more likely to cut people out of their lives rather than try to ruin their lives. So, I don't know. Scientology has a more violent streak. Jehovah's Witnesses are more pacifist, but are a lot bigger. So, it's, it's a complicated question. Uh, but I hope that talking about some of that answered it for you. The Scientology and Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, obviously, are by no means the only cults out there. But right now, I, I would consider them to be a couple of the most dangerous because of how big they are. Mormonism is also pretty dangerous. Life in the doghouse, I would say Mormons are probably the most detrimental to American society given the stranglehold they have in our politics. You're right, that is a huge consideration. That's, that's a serious consideration we should be thinking about, this stranglehold on our politics. Also the IBFP is another wait no I'm sorry IBLP Institute of Bible Life Principles that's what it is IBLP basically the the cult that the duggers are from that is an extremely insidious group too an extremely insidious group Hey Joris my mom was civil today she didn't force me to go to church with her wow I'm really glad to hear that welcome Thanks for coming. That's that's good news. I know it's not a fun situation you're about to go through, but good luck. We'll all be here for you through it. Life in the doghouse. Today I mixed an iced coffee with a can of Red Bull. I haven't done that in years. That sounds intense. I, I really don't like iced coffee very much. It tastes weird. I, I like regular coffee, though. I drink regular coffee for the podcast, but it's decaf because I, I don't want to be all wired before I go to bed. This virus is shit, my grandma died, and I even had COVID for a bit of time. I'm sorry to hear that. We'll make it through. We will make it through this. When we come back, we're going to talk about Pat Robertson sounding reasonable and then immediately going full nutbag mode 100 seconds later. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, For a Few Minutes, and Only a Few Minutes, Pat Robertson Spoke the Truth. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. Let's give the article a read and see what it has to say. On rare occasions, televangelist Pat Robertson says something sensible. Like when he said our existing drug laws needed to be revisited because criminalizing the possession of a few ounces of pot is just costing us a fortune and it's ruining young people. Or when he mocked young earth creationists by saying Bishop Usher wasn't inspired by the Lord when he said it all took 6,000 years. It just didn't. Wow. This guy said some really interesting stuff. I didn't know about all that. This is Hemant Meta. Today was one of those times, and it lasted all of one minute. During today's episode of The 700 Club, Robertson said that churches should not hold large indoor services in the midst of the pandemic because people could catch the virus. He's absolutely right. Take that, John MacArthur, which we're going to be getting to in a minute. But then, less than two minutes later, during a story about the Derrico that recently devastated parts of the Midwest, Robertson went right back to Crazy Town, claiming God was sending us a message via the weather. I actually have this video, uh, so let's give this a watch and see what Pat Robertson said. But
3: I, I personally feel that this coronavirus is so deadly, and the idea of having large people come together. Uh, without masks and without social distancing is a mistake because people catch this stuff and coronavirus is deadly. Not only does it affect the lungs, it affects now the neurological system, it affects other parts of the body. We haven't yet plumbed the depths of what this stuff does. And I really, really don't think that uh, it's wise for A thousand people to come together without masks, without social distancing, and just all of a sudden they're out there praising the Lord and having a wonderful time, and at the same time people are catching this stuff.
0: I just want to emphasize here, he's correct in this situation, and we're going to talk about another pastor who specifically set out to have his church gather with no masks and no social distancing. There are safe ways to go about gathering if you stay far apart, if you meet in the open air, if you all wear masks, but this guy set out to be as dangerous with it as humanly possible. Like, you don't even have to meet if you're going to church. You can just do it through Zoom. And this pastor that we're going to be talking about in a little while, in fact, Pat Robertson may even be referencing this guy set out to do it as dangerously as he possibly could. And as a result, people are going to die. I feel like saying those words, people are going to die, I feel like that doesn't really do the situation justice. Imagine losing your daughter or your mother or your brother or sister or your son or your uncle or grandfather Imagine losing somebody early, before it was their time to go. They're healthy otherwise. And as a result of what this pastor is doing, they die. Their blood is on this pastor's hands. Not Pat Robertson, but John MacArthur. Like I said, we'll talk about him in a minute, but I suspect that's who Pat Robertson was referencing. These families have lost people before they should have. And it's this pastor's fault. He set out to do this as dangerously as he can to what? Why? To stick it to Democrats? Because he doesn't like somebody? He's willing to expend 30 people? 30, 40, 50, 100, 200? How many? How many are you willing to expend? Are you willing to let a thousand people die? A thousand people's dads? Are you willing to, as a direct result of your actions, kill people for some, what, stick in the craw of a political opponent? What kind of a fucking monster do you have to be to do something like that? What kind of a disgusting monster do you have to be when you could have met through Zoom or even could have just met safely outdoors with masks, with social distancing guidelines in place? So Pat Robertson seems to agree with us on this. I mean, according to Pat Robertson, it's stupid, and it's wasting the most valuable and precious asset on this planet, life. So let's see what else Pat Robertson has to say. A hundred seconds later. What is
3: going on? Could the Lord in his wisdom be allowing something to happen to America to wake us up so that we will repent before him. We're looking at the locusts coming uh, to all over the parts of the world. We're looking at this dread coronavirus. We're looking at an economy that's in shambles and trillions of dollars in debt. And now we're looking at, at a body blow to the Midwest of our country. I just wonder, And mm-hmm. but if there was ever a time we ought to pray I tell you, it's time, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land, repent, turn from wicked ways, and there are a lot of stuff we're doing in America that is an abomination before God Almighty.
0: You think that there aren't people out there praying right now? You think that there aren't people out there who've been praying since February in China or other affected areas? You think that there are people out there who haven't been praying this entire time? The most godly, truly moral person out there is susceptible to this virus. There is somebody out there who was honestly good inside. A good person never did anything to anybody in their lives. There's somebody in, in the world, probably within the United States, who is a genuinely good person inside who'd been praying this entire time and who died of this. Prayer isn't going to help us dig out of this hole. Science is. I know Pat isn't a huge fan of science. I know evangelicals generally as a voting block can't stand science. But this is natural selection at at work. I don't like this. I don't want anybody's father or mother or kid to die. I do not want that anybody. But that's what's happening. These people are convinced that they can pray their way out of this, that they can fabricate a miracle, can make God perform miracles to save people. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I don't like that any more than you do. It's not going to happen. We need to listen to the scientists right now. Let's continue reading the article and see what else um, old Pat had to say here. Let me read the highlighted sections here. This is Pat from the video. I personally feel this coronavirus is so deadly and the idea of having large numbers of people come together without masks and without social distancing is a mistake because people catch this stuff and coronavirus is deadly. I really, really don't think it's wise for a thousand people to come together without masks and without social distancing. And then, a hundred seconds later, he says... Could the Lord and his wisdom be allowing something to happen to America to wake us up so we'll repent before him? Repent, turn from wicked ways, and there are a lot of stuff that we're doing in America that is an abomination before God Almighty. This is Hemant Mehta speaking. I'm surprised a man his age can endure that kind of theological whiplash. I guess even Pat Robertson can't go too long without remembering he's Pat Robertson. He said the right thing at at first, and... Then he said the wrong thing. Prayer just isn't going to dig us out of this hole, bottom line. And until we realize that, until we recognize that as a country and actually start wearing masks and stop being fucking idiots, we're going to continue paying the price as a country for the few morons among us who can't figure this out. Life in the doghouse. Well, QAnon is the belief that Trump is secretly a genius who does all this supposedly stupid stuff as part of a plan to save the world. Yep, that's true. That is very true. And he actually, um, you probably saw this, but... He acknowledged QAnon's existence recently and said that they seem to love America and he loves what they're doing and all this other junk. It's crazy, man. We we live in a crazy world right now. I'm going to have to do more stuff on QAnon, but I have to be careful about what I say about it because no matter what I say, just using the word QAnon gets the video completely suppressed. Like not just demonetized. I could probably get it monetized if I was careful about what I said on the subject. Monetization isn't the problem with anything I do about QAnon. In fact, generally speaking, for the most part, I get monetized on most of my videos because I am careful about what I say and I use euphemisms and things like that instead of coming out and saying it. I communicate my point in an ad-friendly way. The problem is YouTube basically removing the video with any mention of QAnon in it from their algorithm completely, like just taking it out entirely. I actually did a QAnon video not long ago, a few weeks ago, I think, or a month or something. And usually by this point in time, my videos would have 100,000, 200,000 views after like a month. Sometimes they have less, sometimes they have more. I would at least have 80,000 views on the video by now. Do you know how many views that QAnon video has? It has 25,000 last I checked. That's basically 10% of what I would expect. 10 to 20% of what I would expect a video to have at this point. They just removed it from the algorithm entirely. Like, just people aren't even seeing it pop up in their recommendations or anything. So, you know, I can talk about QAnon until I'm blue in the face, but nobody is going to see it because YouTube keeps removing it. Life in the doghouse. What is it with super old preachers who talk with that whistle in their voices? It used to drive me nuts when I heard it from pulpits growing up. Yeah, they all have very similar cadences in, in a lot of cases. It is pretty interesting. Zolfner, welcome. Biden is on record fighting against minorities and low income. Same for Kamala But let's add sex workers and trance to that list. Hillary is on camera saying derogatory things. These are the things you want to support, sir. Haven't heard a word about any of that stuff. That sounds like gaslighting to me. A propaganda technique and an abuse tactic designed to basically make people question reality. The reality that they're living in. Biden, at least at this very moment, Biden supports minorities and low-income people certainly far more than Donald Trump does. And for that reason he's going to get my vote. Uh, So that's what it is already a happy Sunday, everyone. Boom, you thought you pulled one over on me, but you didn't, you failed, and I won. Zolfner, no propaganda, sir, all true. Message me, and I'll send it all to you. Oh, I mean, you, you can message me with it if you want, but uh, what you're doing is actually a propaganda technique. It's twisting around the situation to try to portray it in a way that would be unfavorable to the people that Biden supports, that Biden has been fighting for in the past eight years minimum. Something to consider. Anyway, thank you for the super chat. I really appreciate that. When we come back, we're going to talk about a pastor insisting on getting members of his congregation sick. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at it is entitled, Watch This Insane Megachurch Celebrate Its Rejection of Masks and Distancing. This is actually a two-parter. I wanted to address a couple of things with this. Earlier, I mentioned this pastor, John MacArthur, and there's this video of him out there circulating where he is celebrating the fact that he basically won a lawsuit against the state of California that allows him... To gather his mega church of at least a thousand people, with zero social distancing guidelines, zero masks, zero precautions of any sort. He just brought this massive group of at least a thousand people together in closely packed quarters during the the biggest pandemic that's happened in a hundred years. Just because he doesn't like Democrats. I guess. I I don't know why he thought this was a good idea. He could have had them wear masks. He could have had them wear masks. That's like such a minimal investment. They don't have to put anything into that. Just grab like a bandana, put it around your face. You don't even have to buy anything new. You could pass them out at the door for people if you want, with your church's logo right across the face and get some free advertising in. He didn't want to do that. He wants people to die. This is a death cult. I'm telling you guys, this is a death cult. This is the type of thing you see from death cults. The guy knows people are going to die from this. Either that or he's completely rejecting reality. So let me quote from this video of his. He said, we're not meeting because we want to be rebellious. We're meeting because our Lord has commanded us to come together and worship him. So the good news is you're here, you're not distancing, and you're not wearing masks. The Lord knew you needed to be inside and unmasked. They don't want us to meet. That's obvious. They're not willing to work with us. Are you kidding me? They're not willing to work with you? Why do you even need to meet? You could just do this over Zoom. Seriously. You're it. What are you providing when they go to church? You're providing information, right? You're providing information and maybe even some socialization. Your, your people are socializing with each other, right? That's the point. Well, guess what? You can get both of those things from online meetings, from Zoom. Both of those things are available. And at the very least, you could wear masks. I don't know why he is obsessed with getting people killed. This doesn't make any sense. People are literally going to die from what he's doing here. This article was written about a week ago, less than a week ago, just a few days ago. This this just happened. So this same guy basically uh, went on this TV show, this radio program or something, to talk about some questionable things. This is the second article I wanted to take a look at. The title is Anti-Muslim Mega Church Preacher, Real Christians Hate Abortion and LGBTQ People. So let's give the article a read and see what it says. It's by Hemant Mehta. Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church in California is best known as the Christian so deranged that he wants his entire congregation to catch COVID. Last week during an in-person service in defiance of government orders, he told his congregation how proud he was that you're not distancing and you're not wearing masks. He did an interview on Friday with Ryan with Ryan Helfenbein. Helfenbein? The executive director of liberty university's falkirk center a think tank quote unquote consisting entirely of people who don't think and macarthur revealed exactly what it means to be a christian the belief in the divinity of jesus nope the ability to forgive of course not it boils down to just three things you hate gay people you reject trans people and you want to force women to give birth against their will Any deviation from that makes you insufficiently Christian. So let's actually watch the video and see what he had to say here.
4: Pastor, has uh, the president reached out? Has he responded? Have you had a conversation with him?
1: Yes, as a matter of fact, um, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, he called me after the Sunday morning service, and uh, he was very gracious and said, "Um, I just want to thank you for taking a stand church is essential and I'm I'm glad you're doing what you're doing and then we talked a little bit about why from certainly a biblical standpoint Christians could not vote democratic mm. because there's no way that a Christian can affirm the slaughter of babies mm. homosexual activity homosexual marriage or any kind of gross immorality no way we could you know stand behind a candidate who was affirming transgender behavior, which, of course, is really the reprobate mind of Romans 1. So I I said, these things aren't even political for us, uh, sir. I said, these things are biblical. These things are laid down by, by the Word of God. And we love God. We desire to honor Him. And upholding righteousness in a society is what a church is supposed to do. So I said, any real, true believer is going to be on your side in this election because It's not just an individual, it's an entire set
0: of policies that Christians cannot in any way affirm. Okay, so here's my hang-up with this whole thing. This pastor has basically made the belief system about hating people, right? He's building this off of who you shouldn't like and who you shouldn't want to exist or be a part of your society or whatever. That's what this is all about. It's, it's about excluding people from society, right? He wants to exclude gay people and trans people, basically any LGBTQ people. He wants to exclude them from society because he thinks they're evil and they're going to hell and all of that other good stuff. Here's my hang up with it. The Bible is really a, a collection of like 66 books, right? Here's the thing about the Bible. It's impossible to not cherry pick. I said this on Twitter recently. The Bible has an opinion for everybody, and, and it's framed as God's opinion. The Bible gives God's opinion in contradicting ways so many different times. I don't know if you guys have ever been to bibviz.com, B-I-B-V-I-Z.com. It's a pretty cool website. It, last I checked, it was down. It may be back up now. I don't know. Anyways, it basically shows a list of all of the Bible contradictions, or most of them at the very least. It's pretty massive, to say the least. So you have two choices now. Do you want to go with the hate-filled message or the love-filled message? Because there's one of each in the Bible. The Old Testament is largely focused on the hate-filled message. Hate these people. Kill those people. And the New Testament is more focused on love. Love your neighbor as yourself and all that other stuff. That's kind of what Jesus was trying to Communicate when he was on earth, according to the Bible. Jesus never said a word about gay people at all, period. He just didn't. So if you're going to go with a hate-filled interpretation, then naturally you're going with the Old Testament because you can find some of that in the New Testament a little bit, but it's really heavily focused on the Old Testament. And if you're going with the Old Testament... It's really two separate books, really. I mean, the Old Testament and the New Testament are complete polar opposites of each other. They don't even portray the same God, it seems. Completely different from each other. Like, the Old Testament God is a vengeful, angry God that wants to destroy and kill anybody who doesn't love and worship him by force. And the New Testament is more about love and flowery language and hippie stuff and socialism, seriously. That's kind of what Jesus' whole message was all about. Sell your belongings and give it all to the poor and follow him. If you're going to follow the Old Testament interpretation, the hate-filled one, you're going to need to look to the Jewish community for guidance on what the belief system actually was back then, because they know it better than anybody on this earth. The Jewish community has basically dedicated their entire lives to understanding the context of the Old Testament, what it was all about. Christians can't hold a candle to what some of the people in the Jewish community know about the Old Testament. And it seems to me that generally speaking, Jewish people don't pick up that old hateful exclusionary rhetoric Jewish people, generally speaking, as a demographic, are fairly liberal and peace-loving and chill. So I find it fascinating that these people, these Christians, are picking up this hateful rhetoric despite the fact that scholars in the Old Testament disagree with their interpretations and they're just running with the hateful, angry, vicious message of the old that they're interpreting and framing from the Old Testament. I've heard a lot of preachers say that there are a lot of contradictions in the Bible. Obviously, you, you cannot deny the contradictions, but I hear some pastors try to get around those contradictions by saying the newer information in the Bible is the most up-to-date information and was just correcting the old, incorrect, out-of-date information. So the newer stuff in the Bible usurps the older stuff, basically. If that's how you deal with your contradictions, you have to understand that the New Testament is a lot more peace-loving than the Old Testament and inclusionary rather than exclusionary. That's my position on this whole thing. I find it fascinating that this pastor is obsessed with hate despite all of the scholars siding against him. He, it's almost like he's using the Bible to his advantage to attack and hate people that he doesn't like and saying it's God telling him to. Let's continue.
4: You know, Pastor, I'm so thankful that you mentioned that uh, from a biblical, convictional standpoint. We, as you know, we have, there are critics within evangelicalism, conservative evangelicalism, who would like to suggest that the Bible has no prescribed political system, the Bible has no prescribed economic order or system of things, and that that all of this voting and whatnot falls under the category of Christian liberty. Literally, I I know of and I can think of off the top of my head, certain groups within um, mainstream conservative, put that in, in quotations, but evangelicalism that would want to allow for liberty to dominate in that area and say, well, you know, Christians can vote, pull the lever for a Democrat, Christians can pull a Democrat for uh, uh, the lever for a Republican. And at the end of the day, single issue, one issue voting or whatever else you put in that category should not dominate uh, the Christian ethic. How would you respond to that?
1: Yeah, that sounds like 25 or 30 years ago mm. when the differences were sociological or economic between, you know, ownership and, and
0: labor. That, that is long gone. Now, that's fascinating to me. 25 or 30 years ago is roughly when the Republican Party was infiltrated by and started to be controlled by the evangelical voting bloc. That is roughly when religion and politics became intertwined by, like, Billy Graham, Jerry Falwell, and the other people back then. And that is the point that this guy is making. He's saying back then... Being religious wasn't a part of the political structure. In fact, it, being political was discouraged. John F. Kennedy was a Catholic, and people were really worried that his Catholicism was going to interfere or sway his, the way he voted and the executive orders he pushed through. They were worried that his religion was going to interfere with his politics. That is fascinating to me because now it's assumed and even desired that your religion is going to control your political sway, which by the way, FYI, being in a political system that is so intertwined with religion, that is a sign of a fascist system that you live in. That's one of the major signs of fascism. The the leaders... Use religion as a tool against people to control them and to win their votes no matter what. No matter what. If they say that God wanted them to do this thing or that thing or God wants them to be elected or whatever and they can convince the people that God really did want that, they've got their vote, hands down. Manipulating people by using their religion against them, that is the sign of a fascist regime. And in many ways, that that's, that's what's happening in the U.S. right now. And this guy is flat out saying that. 25 or 30 years ago, he's right. Religion wasn't as f- completely intertwined into politics as it is today. Today, they're almost inextricably linked. So what he's saying is 25 or 30 years ago, it would have been understandable if you wanted to vote you know, Democrat, when you were a Christian, because it was largely on sociological or economic lines. Now, this is a religious line. Are you religious? If you are, you are voting Republican. That's what it's all about. And if I've said this once, I've said it a million times, I don't want to vote for a party that runs on Christian nationalism that wants a Christian state and will do anything to get it. I don't want to vote that way. I don't like the Democrat Party, uh, really. I'm not really a Democrat. I mean, I'm registered as one, I think. I'm sure as shit not going to vote for anybody that wants a Christian nationalist state. And a lot of Republicans are on record as saying just that, so... Life in the doghouse. My dad once saw a bumper sticker that said Christian and Democrat. You can be both. And he went off on a rant about how you cannot be both. Yeah, that's because the Republican Party linked religion with politics inextricably 25, 30 years ago in the 80s and 90s. And now the Republican Party is pretty much made up of the evangelical voting block. And whatever other suckers they can drag in along the way, basically. I wanted to touch on the anti-Muslim bit here. Why does anti-Muslim matter? Why is that in the title? A lot of people wonder why that would even be in the title. Am I anti-Muslim? The answer is no. I'm not anti-Muslim. I'm anti-Islam. And I'm anti-Christianity. I'm not anti-Christian, though. This is a really bizarre subject for me, because in the United States, Islam is not an issue. It's like a hill that people want to die on in other areas of the world. Like in the UK, people want to die on this anti-Muslim hill, or in certain parts of Canada, because a large part of their immigration in the U.K. is Muslims immigrating into the U.K. Just like in the U.S., a lot of our immigration, honestly, not even a lot of it, but some of our immigration is Mexicans coming over the Mexico border, or South Americans, or Central Americans. And a lot of the anti-Muslim rhetoric that you hear coming from, like, Europe is similar to the anti-Mexican rhetoric you you hear coming from, like, Republicans in the U.S. So, am I anti-Muslim? No. I'm not. I am not anti any person. I am against the religion of Islam. I would like to see the religion of Islam, the religion of Christianity, I'd like to see those completely erased in the world. In an ideal world, I don't... I would like to see a world where... Religion just doesn't exist like people have moved on past it and started using their critical thinking skills And connected the dots and realized that this is just complete bullshit from beginning to end. These stories are harmful and made up whole cloth and Damage people's lives. That's what I want people to recognize, but I don't hate anybody for anything. I feel like There's a lot of hatred flying around against Mexicans and Muslim immigrants, and I'm just not here for it. I will criticize Islam until I'm blue in the face, 100%. Although I really don't criticize Islam very much because I feel like I don't know a lot about it. I feel like I want to know more about Islam before I level criticisms at it. I have talked about it on my channel as being ridiculous, and it is, but I feel like there are a lot of other people in the atheist community, like, for example, genetically modified skeptic who know a lot more about Islam than I am and, as such, are way more qualified and better positioned to criticize it than I am. So, I will support genetically modified skeptics' efforts in criticizing Islam. I'll stand behind him 100%. I'm not going to get into it, though, because I I, I, I just don't know enough about it to criticize it myself. Not... Not in individual videos, not in the same way that I criticize specific cults or, or Christian sects or whatever. That being said, it is really easy to wander into persecution territory, similar to how Republicans in the U.S. hate and persecute Mexican immigrants. And I just don't, I just don't want that to... Kind of creep in. I haven't seen that creep in with genetically modified skeptic. I think he does a fine job criticizing Islam. Uh, you can criticize Islam without hating people. I just wanted to touch on that because that was in this title of this article: anti-Muslim megachurch preacher. I would assume that any preacher is probably anti-Islam at the very least because they're Christian. Why would a Christian not be anti-Islam? But anti-Muslim, putting that at the top, I get the impression that this preacher is buying into the anti-immigration bullshit you hear coming out of the UK, so and coming out of Europe more generally. Carla Borger, does he know Muslims are the worshipers of Islam like Jewish are the wor- worshippers of Judaism? Yes, I did know that. There's a distinction between not liking a religion or a category and not liking people. That's the distinction that I'm drawing between Muslim and Islam. I don't like the religion. I don't hate anybody for anything. This is Zolfner. How do I benefit from this? Have you looked at the history or voting record of who you support? Oh, yeah! I mean, I mentioned that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama didn't support gay marriage until, like, 2010 or something absurd. Uh, nobody did I mean, Barack Obama, when he was very first elected, was one of the most progressive people in the party at the time. Not so much anymore. Now he's more corporate, a lot more corporate, but either way, he didn't even he didn't support gay marriage at the time. It was wrong. It was wrong for him to not support gay marriage, but supporting gay marriage, supporting minorities and and things like that, supporting women's rights, supporting Medicare and social security, those are things that the Republican Party will never do. That's just not really their thing. They don't believe in those causes. They don't like those things. They don't want that as a part of their party. The Democrats might. Those are feasibly possible positions that the Democrats might hold. Joe Biden has done a lot of bad stuff. He's voted for a lot of bills that I don't agree with. He's even written bills I don't agree with, like the crime bill. A lot of bad stuff. But Trump is so Far away from where I would want this country to be. I would vote for almost anybody. I'd vote for Mitt Romney before I voted, a Mormon, before I voted for Trump. I would vote for John McCain before I voted for Trump. Like, holy shit, I'd vote for almost anybody, seriously, before Trump. He is pushing us so deep into a fascist regime i am genuinely scared for the future of this country seriously so yeah biden has done some really shitty stuff i agree but not like donald trump i want you to look at kamala's past and acknowledge she bas- she's basically a republican youtube is blocking me but look at her past. i agree i agree with you i agree she and joe biden are basically both republicans but like i said i'd vote for john mccain or mitt romney before i voted for trump I am genuinely afraid for this country right now, seriously. My personal stake is reasonably low, but i it hurts me to watch people suffer and to know how many people are going to be suffering as a result, as a direct result, of Donald Trump's actions. Evan Inge, casual reminder that Voice 2 did everything wrong. Thank you, did everything wrong, so you're getting it. I'm, I'm glad people are starting to connect the dots on this. <laughs> Thank you for the super chat life in the doghouse. I second the assertion of voice twos guilt That's right voice two is guilty TV tube me. Thank you for the super chat Nervardia Evan Inge also a quick reminder. It is also Sunday I'm just gonna start replacing words now that you you know You guys are gonna come in and, and say filthy lies I'm gonna correct those filthy lies with correct information. That's fake news You guys are fake news over here right now voice two did everything wrong and it's Monday. says so, uh, Sunday I mean god damn it Nervardia Voice two did everything wrong and it's Sunday. Most controversial super chat of the day. That's not very controversial. I agree with you. It is Sunday and they did every and they did everything wrong. Yeah. Zelfner says Biden twenty twenty. All the way. That's right, Biden twenty twenty. Nah. Zelfner said Trump twenty twenty, but I completely disagree to the bottom of my heart. I, like I said, I'd vote for McCain or I wouldn't vote for Ted Cruz. I wouldn't vote for Lindsey Graham, probably. I would have a hard time voting for Mike Pence over Trump. But some of the more moderate Republicans in the House or the Senate, I'd probably vote for over Trump. I don't like it, but I would do it because I feel like Trump is an extremely destructive person. You know, I may actually vote for Ted Cruz over Trump. It would be a hard decision. I'd have to think on it for a while, but I would I would vote for one of them, though. I'll tell you that. I would vote for either one of those two. I wouldn't sit out. I don't believe in sitting out. I think that's a bad decision, trying to sit it out. Zolfner, I vote for personal freedom. I believe in personal freedom, 100%. All right, I'll tell you what, that's where I'm going to end it for the night. Appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week.